Welcome everybody to the next episode of the Beck BC podcast. It's been quite a while since I've joined you on this. Um, we've done a few in, in, in the background, but it's been a little quieter over sort of COVID times and and and, and recovery as well. But delighted to be here again today uh, with Jared Richardson uh, doing a podcast about about um, his life, uh, career, but also some of the more recent um, some of the more recent things to happen in his life as well. Um, Jared, I'm sure many people will know. Uh, and at least recognise, certainly if you've had a strong Whitehaven upbringing or, or sort of West Cumbria focus. Um, Jared, I mean, I'm sure you can explain much better than I can, but the, the sort of things you've been involved with are obviously you're, you're a, you know, a wine merchant by trade, effectively. You're a purveyor of fine wines, coffees, local produce, but also very well known for um, the Whitehaven Festival or the Maritime Festival before that and attracting hundreds of thousands of people to Whitehaven every every year or every two years, um, you know, and some huge international stars that you brought to really fill, uh, you know, fill the town up with with amazing, um, amazing people really and, and really brought everyone together. But of course, you're also an author and writer and keep, keep yourself always very busy with lots of things. Um, and I think it's fair to say that you've been a, a very big public figure um, in terms of the area for many, many years, at least 25 years, as far as I'm aware. Um, and you've always been sort of in the news in different different ways. But I think this year, 2022, um, has been a bit of a sort of mixed bag for news, really. Um, two very significant things that I've certainly seen going out um, publicly, both your appointment to the um, Deputy Lieutenant for Cumbria, um, supporting the Lord Lieutenant in, the, in her roles across the, the, the county, but also uh, sadly I've heard about your cancer diagnosis or diagnoses. Um, so a bit of a challenging year really, uh, and there's lots to talk about here in terms of the background and, and, and your um, sort of career steps, but I think it's worth starting with with now really. how. How are things for you now, and and how has this year been for you, Jared? Um, it's been an emotional roller coaster, Adam. To be honest, I've tried to put uh, light on the situation. Um, I mean, ironically, eleven years ago, when I um, when I got the MBE, I also got a diagnosis of kidney cancer then, and um, you know, I had a, a kidney partially removed. I've, I cracked on with with life, um, carried on with festivals, and um, carried on as a magistrate for a few years. And and fast forward eleven years, um, I've I've been appointed deputy lord lieutenant, and and two more cancers. Um, and right, right now, to be honest, if the queen phoned and invited me for tea, I'd probably hang up. I'd be petrified of anything else uh, coming through the post. But it, it's been. Um, it's it's been rotten to be honest. I've I've always thought of myself as um, a strong independent character, um, but but this has pulled the floor from right underneath me. I don't, I don't know how I don't know how people are meant to cope with uh, news like this, but um, yeah, it's been very hard, very hard, and hard on the family as well. Absolutely, um, but I think the way that you've already started to deal with it in terms of being very public with the news and wanting to share the story and raise the awareness for the importance of tests and screening i think that's a credit to you already um so i think that you're certainly approaching it in the right way even though it is very challenging circumstances well i, I i'd had um i've had some problems for a couple of years you know but, but i had a, a scan that reported that as, as clear and Put problems aside. In in January, when I had um, some more symptoms, if 
if I hadn't seen an advert myself about people going for tests, I, w I would possibly have put it off for a few more weeks. And uh, so I, I think it is important, you know, where we all, um, you know, especially members of the, the, the Beck Business Cluster, we all live very engaged and busy lives. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it, it working hours, the, the, there's no such thing, you know, especially if you're an independent business person, we, we, we tend to just carry on and we stop when we were forced to stop. But I, I, I think, you know, just once in a while, people need to stop and, uh, and give the body a chance and, um, and, and get yourself checked out by the doctor occasionally. Um, mm. Yeah, I think I think this this um, as as the example or COVID or, or broader health um, concerns have, I think, re, re highlighted the importance of that, actually, and, and not just focusing solely on work and delivering and sort of getting through sort of sort of typical success as such i think it is important to well you know keep the health in check and as you say make sure that things don't um don't get out of control really yeah i think i think there's a there's a balance to be had that maybe some people didn't have beforehand but but the pendulum can also swing too far the wrong way you know i i, I have a small business but i still consider myself an entrepreneur you know we we took our entrepreneurial uh, skills if you like into more into community matters you know we we did things for Whitehaven that shouldn't have happened to a town of 27,000 you know we, we've quite often we multiplied the town's population by 10 with events um so I, I, I still consider myself an entrepreneur in 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 that respect but and I don't think you know there's there's a lot of similar people in in VAC BC we're, we're not going to get those people to all of a sudden start um working 36 hours a week or you know, taking four weeks off every few weeks. It's this isn't the world we live in as independent businessmen. Um, all I would suggest to folks is, you know, use this as a as an example. And um, you know, if you've if you've anything showing up, don't ignore it. Get yourself checked out. For as for the the, the other thing, the the deputy lord lieutenant, I'm just determined to um, you know to crack on with that and support uh, Mrs Hensman the best I can. <clears throat> One of the things I'm particularly going to be looking forward to at uh, at her request is is looking at areas of excellence in business, and I'm really grateful that she's she's asked me to do that. I'm I'm looking for um, Cumbrian companies that that we can put forward for things like Queen's Awards, um, and you know I'd, I'd I'd like anyone who thinks that a particular company has excelled, whether it's in export or innovation, um, you know, contact me. Please do contact me. I, I, I want to make the best of you know the, the next few years, and, and if in doing that we can help Cumbrian businesses step forward, things like Queen's Awards or you know even any form of recognition by the Lord Lieutenant is is huge for business, um, and and I really want to you know to champion uh, as many businesses as we can. And I think Jared, you you certainly will be the, a good voice for that, and and especially from from a business point of view, but also from a West Coast point of view, pulling some of the attention to the west of Cumbria, um, trying to sort of raise the profile of some of these fantastic companies that we all know we have. And in the past, we have seen some success from um, the Queen's Award for Enterprise from from certain yeah. companies. So hopefully that will continue. And I think having you sort of lead that, or at least support Mrs. Hensman and the and those ambitions, that will be a real a real strength actually. Um, so yeah, I'm very keen to explore about some of the more uh, known things that you've done over the past sort of uh, 20 or so, 30, so, 30 or so years. 
However, I think it's important to um, sort of just tell us about where it all started for you in terms of where where was home, where were you born and how were those sort of early years and, edu edu and education, how did that sort of shape the future for you? Well, to, to be honest, I, I, I was born on uh, on James Street in Cleeton Moor. I wouldn't quite call it a slum housing, but it was a house with an outside loo. We had no bath. Um, I know I know people have been making the jokes about the violins, but that that was genuinely that was Cleeton Moor in the early 60s. And uh, it's one of the things I'm particularly proud of to to have got to where we are now in terms of um, recognizability in business and and Deputy Lord Lieutenant. I mean, you know, heaven's sakes, I'm, I'm, I'm a lad who was born in a house with a tin bath. Uh, I'm chuffed a bit, but uh, it, I've always had and I think it came from a family. I've always had a, a proper work um, drive. Um, dad, dad was never out of work. He, he, he always encouraged us to go out and help him when he was doing um, foreigner jobs, if you like. Um, and w when I left school, I, I mean, around here, the, I had any any number of options. I could have gone into the steelworks, the coal mines, Marshon, Sellafield. I could keep going, you know, any of the, the mills like Seckers. Um, but I chose to follow my uh, elder brother into the Royal Navy. Um, Bit of a curious choice of career, to be honest, because I joined the Fleet Air Arm and uh, I, I don't like heights and I don't like water. So it was a, <laughs> a strange choice of career. But there you go. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, to be honest. I, I would um, I would probably have seen um, uh, another couple of decades in, in the forces had it not been for when I uh, requested permission to get married, which I had to do at the time. Um, the next thing that came was a, an unaccompanied draft to Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean. And um, th that, that just wasn't a, a way to start a married life. So my options were uh, limited. I tried swap drafts and um, in the end, I, uh, I put my notice in uh, and I went to Sellafield. I um, had a couple of different jobs there for about 15 months. And, and then I managed to get back into uniform with the uh, Sellafield Fire Brigade. Um, and I, I, I was glad to say that um, I helped change the way things uh, operated on there as well in terms of mainly the medical side. I'd spent a bit of time in the Navy with um, Search and Rescue Squadron in Scotland. I'd got quite into the whole uh, emergency medical um, practice. And uh, we, we uh, for the first time, we brought in proper ambulance training. I, I went off to uh, Scotland with one other colleague and we did the full Scottish ambulance course up in Glasgow for about 18 weeks. Um, and then we instigated a training program at Sellafield. Um, uh, and it, and it, it was nice to be involved in. But at the same time as I was on Sellafield, I, um, I've always been one of these people with a kind of um, an itch. Um, you know, I need something else. And, and in addition to starting a family with Diane, I, um, I started a youth club on Hensingham. There was a lot of youth crime at the time. Uh, a police inspector suggested that I might be, um, I might make a good candidate for a magistrate. So I applied and went through a few interviews and 12 months later got this lovely letter from the House of Lords. So it, it, it you know, life started to change at that point, you know, because when you, you, you kind of step up a game into that sort of volunteering, you think, well, actually, the possibilities are endless. A year after being appointed as a magistrate, I um, started the business with Diane. Um, and then uh, three years after, um, I came up with this daft idea of, uh, of organising a festival. I'd had a walk around the harbour. I'd met Terry Ponting. We, we, we'd had a brief chat about 
the pontoons that he was putting in and, and his idea of transforming it from a, a former coal export and fishing fleet uh, dock to, um, to this tourist marina that we have now. And the one thing that was missing was uh, marketing. And, um, and so our shop, uh, we, we kind of went into overdrive, to be honest. And, and I, I, I know this is going to sound a little bit bullshit, but, you know, hey, I've been bullshit all my life. We, we were doing socioeconomics when, um, you know, most folks didn't even know what it meant. Uh, and, and proper socioeconomics, you know, we, we, we went into delivering for the community. And I'll give you an example. At one point, um, close to the recession in 2008, um, my business turnover had plummeted. And um, it, it was barely in five figures at the time. It was, it was on life support. At the same time, I was uh, from the same office with uh, separate accounts, we were handling the the Maritime Festival, and, and that had a turnover of nearly a million. Um, oh. uh, the social economics were were totally top ended in in our respect, but yeah, through the course of the the years organising the festivals, you know, we, um, we, by the end, people were were saying, you know, how on earth did you manage to cope with that? You know, that I've had people come up to me and say they're organising um, a theatrical event in the Civic Hall, and it's 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 really difficult. How did you put together something with so many moving parts? But you know, the reality is, like any businessman knows, you go into the challenge. You know, we started off with a, a reasonably big festival, and year by year, I added things like air shows, um, celebrity chef theatres, live music, and and as you grow organically like that, it it it's I wouldn't say it's easy, but um, it it wasn't as difficult as it looked from the outside. You know, we. Planning rolled over. I mean, uh, as we were finalising and uh, the plans for one festival, and, and indeed as we're opening one festival, I was already two festivals ahead in the planning, and um, and and that's the only way you you can be. And I, and I think it, it it it's also the same in terms of business. But in two thousand and two, I, I remember um, starting to write letters to the palace because we were aware that six years later we, the, there was. Um, this big anniversary for Whitehaven, you know, the 300th anniversary of the granting of the market charter. Mm. And uh, and I, I started saying to people locally, you know, we need to get the um, the Queen to come to Whitehaven. And, and it, it was basically laughed out of court. It was dismissed. We'd, we'd held one royal visit with uh, Prince Andrew, but uh, maybe best not talk too much about that now. <laughs> um, but the idea of getting the Queen here was, it seemed outrageous. And anyway, I, I started writing letters. I, I started building up a relationship with the Lord Lieutenant at the time and the um, and, and the Royal Household. And uh, and then, you know, lo and behold, we got a, a visit from um, Mr. Cropper, who was the Lord Lieutenant at the time. He popped into the back of the shop. Um, he spoke to Louise and I. Uh, Louise is my long-standing colleague in the business. And... Um, and he said, look, we've got a, a really good shot at getting the Queen for um, this 300th anniversary of the market charter. Uh, he said, uh, what I, I need is this to be planned in total secrecy. He said, we won't be able to announce anything until at least a, just a couple of weeks beforehand. But if you can guarantee a big crowd and you can guarantee schools visits down there. And he said, we'd like something extra like an air show or a military parade. I think we'll get the queen. And so I, just me being me, I said yes to everything. Um, and we <laughs> delivered on everything, you know, within four months, we, we, we'd organized a joint military parade with the US Navy and the Royal Navy. It was only a small one, but it's still classed as a military parade. 
we had literally every school in the area down on the harbour side in a lot of places. Um, we had an air show, uh, that, and that was incredibly memorable. You know, I, I remember um, the, I, I had the town vicar, John Bannister. He, he was to read um, a welcome speech, and at the end he was to say, God save the Queen. And um, I said to him, you've got to finish bang on 11, not a second later, because the jet will come overhead. And it was a reconnaissance, a black reconnaissance jet. It was quite beautiful. Um, and, and, and true to form, John got uh, the words, God save the Queen out. And on the end of Queen, this jet came screaming over Kells. And the Queen just looked to me. She said, how did you do that? I said, well, it's actually, ma'am, it's your RAF. They're, they're quite... <laughs> It was just one of those moments, you know, where you, you, you literally burst with pride. Mm. I had a similar one a few years earlier when um, 2003, I'd been trying to jazz the air shows up a bit and I'd been writing to the US Navy um, asking if we could get a couple of Tomcats to do a display. And they, they were working on the theory that there's always a carrier, you know, in the Atlantic. Anyway, a couple of weeks before the event, I got a phone call from the, um, the embassy and um, I, I thought this was the phone call guaranteeing the, the Tomcats. And, and they said, oh, bad news. We can't do Tomcats. Will a missile cruiser do instead? So we ended up <laughs> from um, the USS Leyte Gulf, which was the first US warship to visit Whitehaven since John Paul Jones attacked us. So it was quite quite uh, memorable, to be honest. That um, Thank God I'd pulled the car in the side of the road on the way to Big Rig to a meeting because <laughs> I'd probably have crashed if I'd taken that call driving. Uh, <laughs> And, and the, the whole visit was just fabulous, you know. We, uh, I went out, um, to the, the, the ship, had, it, it was first stop was Whitehaven from the USA. Um, so they, they had no, um, no cash, you know, all they had was dollars. Uh, and although we'd made arrangements in town for dollars to be accepted, which was unusual, um, we also went out with uh, Thomas Cooks at uh, five o'clock in the morning on a harbour pilot boat with 300,000 pounds in cash. <laughs> uh, and it was extraordinary, you know, we, uh, we we met the USS Lady Gulf just off the Isle of Man and it was still steaming towards Whitehaven. We had to turn around in the pilot boat, match the speed, run alongside it. And they threw a rope down and I tied this bag of £300,000 in cash to a rope, which was then hauled up by the crew. And then we went on board for the final few hours of the of the journey to Whitehaven and um, had a chat with them about uh, the, the you know pubs and uh, the the type of things that were going on at the festivals it was just it was just fabulous but that weekend we uh, we we were hosting our second uh, display by the red arrows over the years by the way whitehaven um we we really pulled above our weight we um you know the red arrows do displays over cities um very rarely over towns whitehaven had 10 consecutive displays by the red arrows it's quite quite outstanding but this one year um I had to tell the squadron that uh, we'd had to adjust the flight path because th they were going to be flying in between Whitehaven and the um, the American warship. And and it, it, I, you kind of, I got the feeling right away that this was, you know, we're going to show the Americans how we do it. And uh, and on the day of the display, I'd, I'd been on board for a chat about some other things that we were planning, the, the opening of the consulate office in Whitehaven. And I just got back ashore with the captain and the first officer and the Red Arrows had started the display. And they did that um, that one where, you know, the two aircraft go like this and just mm. each other. Um, and I remember the first officer, I, I won't repeat the words, but it was kind of military English. 
Um, he, he honestly thought it was a near miss. And uh, he, he said, I've got to say that is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and it's just, it, it's incredible. You know, moments like that, you can't buy them. You cannot buy them. No, wow. I mean, I'm feeling like just hearing this, Jared, you know, when is your book coming out? This is an incredible amount of you know, the memoirs. There's so many things, little tales from from seemingly, you know, dealing with the palace to dealing with the U.S. Um, defense and sort of almost like international diplomacy, you know, uh, diplomacy and, and dealing with such huge, um, huge operations of, you know, massive well, I, logistical I challenges. <laughs> Ironically, I mean, the, Ameri the Americans are lovely. Uh, we've had a great relationship with them, but uh, we'd been trying to work out how to open um, an honorary consulate in Whitehaven. And uh, and it, it was getting nowhere, to be honest. The, uh, it, it was it was kind of too complicated for anyone to consider. Um, so what, one year I, I decided to hatch a trick and I did, I did uh, confess to them years later and, and they loved it. Um, I wrote to the embassy and I, and I said that we were um, we were changing our consul. I didn't tell them we didn't have one. Um, I said we're appointing a new honorary consul. It was Steve Morgan, who was a retired U.S. Mm. Navy, and Steve was in on the on the game, you know. And um, and I said, is it possible to uh, send your usual representatives? So they they came back and they said, who do we normally send? And I said, uh, usually the naval attaché and uh, a half a dozen U.S. Marines. So that's what we got. We got some uniformed Marines to do the rifle swirling thing in the council office while we appointed um, our consulate. And uh, and my shop became the uh, the honorary consulate to the United States Navy. And uh, <laughs> we have a little plaque on the window now. People walk past it every day. It, it also says we're the office of the Whitehaven town crier. But I think people walk past it not knowing what to um, what to think, you know. We, but... Um, yeah, we, we, we're, a, we're a bona fide diplomatic office and we get a diplomatic visit once a year, which we, we always try to make the, uh, the best of. We, we try to keep the history alive with the United States. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's fabulous. I've had kind of an accidental life, I suppose, in, in that respect. But I, did, um, I did a few talks years ago for pensioners groups. And, um, you know, they used to like hearing about the plans for the next festival. But this one year I decided to um, to do something different. So I told them about some of the weird little anecdotes and the unusual things that happened and, and some of the daft claims that people used to put in when they were trying to sue the festival. Um, there, there was there was never a point where I, I didn't have six or seven potential lawsuits. Um, but there was only one that was successful. We, we used to manage to beat them all off. But some of them were ridiculous, you know. Um, a woman who um, tried to sue us because she claimed she had uh, blisters in her throat because of the, the gas from an exhaust pipe of the ice cream van. Um, a woman who claimed she lost Gucci shoes because of um, raw sewage being on the harbour side, despite the fact that there's no sewage there. And she claimed she had to burn the shoes, so there was no evidence as well. But it was claim after claim, you know. Um, I even had to... Uh, to to be very uh, calm and polite with uh, animal rights peoples. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not knocking anyone who's who's into their thing, but but one year I was I was asked to uh, prove that I wasn't stressing the mullet in the harbour, and and to be honest, that one is still flummoxed me now. How do you stress test a fish? <laughs> I've yet to meet a psychiatrist who can pull that one off, but that's what. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Wow. So many challenges over the years, many highlights. <laughs> obviously, um, I mean, have you got sort of any other or sort of one standout highlight or would that be the 2008 meeting of 
the Queen I think, to think. I think the Queen has got to be the one. But uh, in 2010, we had the awful shootings in Whitehaven, and, and believe it or not, it it happened a, a bare three weeks before one of the biggest festivals we ever did, and um, we had to have a, a, a very rapid rethink. You know, could we possibly do the event? We were we were quizzing at that point. The, we we would have we would have um, been completely broke actually if if we'd cancelled the festival. But but that wasn't the decision. The decision was could the town possibly cope with such an event? As it turned out, uh, I, I remember saying at the time it wasn't just the uh, tonic the town needed. It was the gin and tonic, and um, and everyone absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, it's. Um, we, uh, we we had Catherine Jenkins that year for the first year, and I remember um, getting a phone call in the shop from Catherine's agent um, saying she wants to meet to have a chat about whether she should say anything about the shootings and whether, whether she can dedicate a song. So I went round to her dressing room. Uh, we had a brief chat about what to say, uh, keep it um, you know very limited, and which song to dedicate. And then I automatically reached out my hand to, you know, to shake hands. And um, I remember Catherine saying, um, oh, I've just had my nails done. Will a kiss do instead? So of course, <laughs> by the time I got back to the shop, I'd turned that into a wild snog with Catherine Jenkins. <laughs> I still try to persuade her to this day that that's what happened. But I think she, I think she knows the truth. Wow. So that's that's your true highlight then, actually. The Queen's <laughs> near there and Catherine Jenkins is on a par, perhaps. <laughs> you know, there have been so many. I mean, in 2011, I, I got a phone call from the American embassy um, asking me to go down uh, there because they were giving me an award for international uh, furthering international relations. Um, as it turned out, I managed to persuade them to come up here and we did it in St. Nicholas's Gardens instead, just to get more publicity for the town. Um, I, I've as I said, to be honest, some of the things that have happened have been anecdotal and fun. Some of them, the honours that have come along have, have just been wonderful. I mean, I, I couldn't have imagined being a deputy lieutenant. I certainly couldn't have imagined getting um, a diplomatic award. Mm. It's crazy. It's larger than life. It really is. But um, And of course, your, your MBE um, for services to Cumbria broadly. That was on tourism and for the festival, was it not? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, there's a part of this, it, it almost feels a little bit uncomfortable because I've never, you, believe it or not, this is, I think this is the first time I've ever spoken like this. Um, maybe recent events have um, made me uh, cherish the past and, and, and the achievements a bit more, but I'd, I've never felt comfortable with the vanity of talking about your own achievements. Um, but but they've been the town's achievements as well, ultimately, and my family's achievements, and they've all enjoyed the experience and so I, I, I guess I should be proud of it you know it's um, absolutely yeah. absolutely I was going to come on to say actually now that um, this has clearly been a, a team effort you know most most things that are a success are team efforts in some regard so so what importance has family played over the years both I guess professionally and personally in, in your sort of success I guess Enormously, to be honest. I mean, the, the we made the um, the festival itself was made into a limited company at the outset. So we had a, a very tight knit board of directors of six people, and and you know the, they were just incredible. We had our own solicitor, our own accountant from Coveden, Catherine uh, Nicholas, uh, Sheree Luthwaite, um, who, who you know Sheree and I had been friends for years. One of the things that I've always said to to companies as well when we've been doing um, talks at times. If you can replicate the type of board that we had on the festival, then the sky is the limit. 
because we we never once had a public disagreement. If we we had uh, on the rare occasion um, occasion to hotly debate something, we always left the room as friends, and we always left the room moving forward. Not once did we have any uh, hostilities. Not once did we take anything open. But also, all credit to the board of directors, they accepted that that my family and Louise in the shop would just meld into the uh, the workings of the event and. Um, and the family and the and the board became, you know, there was there was almost no division at times. The um, the year that my, uh, my my father passed away, 2009, um, th th that was just ridiculous timing. To be honest, I, we had a TV crew following us that week, uh, a fly in the wall documentary for ITV for a program they were doing on the lakes, and um, the the weather forecast for that weekend had been quite poor and. Uh, in one interview, uh, three or four days before the festival, they they said to me, what happens if it rains? And I said, look, the show goes on. Two days later, my dad died and, you know, the, sh the show went on. Cherie stepped in as, um, as acting chief exec and um, my son, Luke, stepped up. He, you know, he, he was only a young fella, um, but he stepped in and he basically administrated the festival. Um, yeah, you, you know, the, the, the family were... The backing I've had from them has been incredible. Absolutely, uh, and you have quite a large family now, don't you? In terms, of it's gone the next generation down, I believe. Yeah, uh, we're, 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 you know, they always say Catholics breed like rabbits, but I think we we, we make rabbits look ridiculous. Um, Diane and I have got four children, nine grandchildren, and the tenth is is on the way. Um, yeah, it's 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 a fabulous family to be honest, and. Uh, you know, from uh, from Diane and and, and Louise uh, looking after corporate sponsors and um, helping sell programs. My sons would would work on the bars, and again sell tickets and and right up to uh, you know to Luke actually um, stepping in almost as general manager that year. Um, yeah, it's it, it's wonderful, you know, and and watching the grandkids grow up. The the only sad thing, it, the last few years is that they haven't been able to experience the. The, the festivals that the the parents enjoyed, mm. um, you know, I'd I'd love Whitehaven at some point to get back to something similar, and we we've um, we we started to re-engage. I had a period of ill health after the the renal cancer. Um, I managed to carry on for a couple of years, but um, I uh, I slipped into do to depression, um, which really gripped me for about two years. I managed to continue operating on a fairly high level which I think surprised the, even my doctor um, he advised me to I had to change a few aspects of life and the first thing that went was the the magistrates I thoroughly enjoyed that but I was on average I was given up a day a week um, so I stepped down as a magistrate after 19 wonderful years and I can recommend that to anyone to be honest it's it's the most rewarding um, volunteer activity you can do. It's 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 wonderful, and 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 for a lad of Cleetamoor, the first time I, here's another anecdote. I, I went into court for the first time, um, and to have solicitors for the start and police inspectors standing when you walk into court was was enough. But um, when the the first solicitor addressed me as your worship, he, he, you can really get above your station, to be honest. I remember one nervous defendant about two years after I started. Um, he started blustering his words and he must have been told how to address the court. He was representing himself. But uh, he called me your Royal Highness, which I rather liked, actually. 
<laughs> Amazing, Jared. So, so um, as well as the festival, then, um, obviously uh, your main sort of focus at the moment, or 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 has been certainly, is 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 the shop, of course. Yeah, we um, haven't talked about that, have we? We haven't really. I haven't, and so we all love wine, and we should get on to wine now. I think so. Just tell us a little bit about you know the shop's um uniqueness in Whitehaven and sort of yeah how all how that came about as well let let me tell you the the shop is uh the story of the shop is as unique and anecdotal as the festivals we um Diane uh, she bought me an Oz Clark book years ago I think it was 2003 and um in the back of the Oz Clark books at the time he used to list his favorite wine merchants his, his kind of top 20 and um, within two years, we were in the top 20 wine merchants in the UK in Oz's book. Um, and Oz Clark and I became really good friends. We, we've stayed really good friends ever since. He wasn't as well known at the time as he is, he is now, um, you know, filming with James May and people like that. Mm. But, um, he was our kind of first celebrity um, interaction, which was kind of weird for a small shop in Whitehaven. But uh, in uh, two years after we'd started, I, th I think it was the year before we, we did the first festival, we uh, took the business to um, a show in uh, London. And um, th there was lots of generic stands like Wines of Australia, Wines of France. We were the only wine merchant daft enough to have a, a stand at this very expensive um, show in Olympia. Um, but as a result, it attracted lots and lots of interest. And there was, there was one chap came over and uh, he started pointing out wines on our racks and he, he wanted a case of this and two cases of that and by the end it was several thousand pounds it was phenomenal and he handed me a business card and said can you deliver it there i didn't read it until we got back home from london and i realized it was reykjavik in iceland and um, i telephoned him up and i said look you know, maybe i've bit off more than i can chew i've, I've no idea how i'm going to get this there turned out they also owned a shipping company uh, called samskip uh, operating out of hull and so all I had to do was get the wines to Samskip and they took care of all the documentation. Wow. A few later, I got an invite to go to Iceland to do a tasting for, um, for some private businessmen and the Icelandic government um, because they were looking to break the state monopoly and, and uh, invite private businesses to, uh, to sell wine for the first time. Uh, and so I ended up being a kind of an advisor for about two years and uh, we, we, we got a percentage of uh, sales, you know, Virtually everything going into Iceland in terms of fine wine was coming by our shop. It was, it was phenomenal. We used to Incredible. get salmon every Christmas as well. Incredible. <laughs> we 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 ended up with a tradition of the uh, the first person coming through the door when the salmon had arrived got it because um, Diane didn't really like fish at the time, so we were giving away this uh, several hundred pounds worth of uh, magnificent fish. Wow. But yeah, we we ended up being. Um, I remember uh, doing a hosting um, a, a dinner and a, and a wine tasting in in Reykjavik, and uh, the president was there, the foreign minister, the ambassador to the United States, and uh, and an operatic singer from Italy. It was about the most weird night you could um, <laughs> you could have. And then a couple of years later, we did a similar show in Manchester at the GMEX Centre, and um, the guest star at that was um, Ken Hom, the uh, the Chinese chef. Sure. And, um, Ken came along for a chat, and, and again, we were the only independent wine merchant. And um, he asked if we had a, a wine list. Well, I had a, a, a couple of pages on A4 that I'd, I'd basically handwritten our old stocks because we specialised in old ports and things. 
And um, he started ticking them off the list and he gave me his home address and his credit card. And, uh, and, and for about the next 10 years, we supplied Ken home as well. He's, he's got 64,000 bottles of wine in his uh, villa in France. And um, I'm happy to say quite a large proportion of them came from Lowther Street. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that's even even more international links uh, all around the world, it seems, from a small, humble well, town to, to all over the world, to Iceland, to the US. The best yeah, one of all it's incredible. Came, came from Ken, actually. Uh, he, t he telephoned one day and said he was organising a dinner for a friend um, to help launch his, his new charity. And um, he said, do you mind if my friend calls you? He wants some advice on the wine. Well, of course, his friend turned out to be Sir Alex Ferguson, who was Alex at the time. And uh, and so we ended up with a relationship with uh, with Sir Alex, which continued for over a decade. And um, on a couple of memorable occasions, he, he would send us um, just a huge number of, of tickets for the executive uh, area at Old Trafford. And I remember the kids going down. They, they, they were given um, David Beckham and Paul Scholes socks and shorts. And I have no idea what they did with them. They probably threw them in the bin, you know, not Luke and uh, Josh. And then were never really into football. They went down for the experience. But, uh, but yeah, we, we got to meet all the players and, and got some personal memorabilia. And, and our, our kind of life just continued like that. You know, I, I did an advert in a magazine called Decanter one year. And... Um, mm -hmm. I hadn't realised this particular month, Decanter were trying to increase their international sales and uh, they were promoting in California. Uh, they were trying to rival the big American magazine, Wine Spectator at the time. And uh, my advert read very simple, eccentric wine merchant seeks eccentric customers, telephone this number. <laughs> and uh, the number I gave them, it was shared between the house and the, and the um, warehouse that we had at the time. And, and about two o'clock in the morning, the, the telephone went and I went down and answered it. And I, and I thought it was the lads on the fire station because it was an American accent. And um, I, I actually told them to F off, to be honest. And a few minutes later, I just got back to bed. The telephone rang again. And this American voice said, gee, you really are eccentric. And, uh, and he was the chief executive of Cinetel Film Corporation. They specialize in sci-fi films. And, um, and we ended up supplying them with wine for a number of years, uh, mainly for their, um, their bankers, which was Courts and Co., the Queen's Banker in London. Of course, but, yes. And an amazing reach that, that, that you've had um, yeah. all, all through wine as well. Would you say that you have a, a favourite go-to wine if you are sort of celebrating a key birthday or something? What would you, what would you reach for in the shop? To be honest, it, it, it changes fairly uh, regular, but there, there is a wine which we, we stock as often as we can. Sometimes it's as limited as three times a year. But the, the, Well, there's two wines, actually. One is the White Haven wine, which I'll, I'll tell you about in a sec. But the other one is a, a wine called the Work of Time. Um, it's, it's from uh, an estate called Springfield in, in South Africa. It's not horribly expensive, 20-odd pounds. Some people would think that is ridiculous, but you know, look, in reality, if you go into a pub... You're going to spend four or five pound on a glass of wine that's probably been open for three weeks, and um, you know it, it, it tastes awful. If you multiply that up by four or five, you've got a twenty quid bottle of wine. So why not just have the twenty quid bottle of wine and enjoy it at home? But uh, yeah, the work of time it's called. It's Springfield Estate, and it's it's just it's to die for. It's a Cabernet blend. The, the Whitehaven Winery. Um, when we were starting the business, we were we were looking on AOL, which was the main search provider at the time. We were trying to find anything at all with the Whitehaven connection. You know, Jefferson's was still in trade in Whitehaven at the time, and they had the rum. Uh, and I wanted a product. And um, 
I came across this vineyard that, that had literally just opened its doors in the same year that we started the business, and it was the Whitehaven uh, Winery. And their very first release was 1995, which was the same year we started. And so I contacted them, and um, we, we, we managed to get some of the first release, and we, we've been stocking them ever since. And uh, internationally, I mean, obviously, the, the, with the, 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 the Q being uh, the, the name Whitehaven, We've actually become their biggest single user as a shop of their wine. And they're now worldwide. They're represented in, in USA and Europe by Ernest and Julio Gallo, which is a huge company. But um, but where Whitehaven Wineries and Ernest and Julio Gallo's biggest user uh, internationally of the of that one particular wine, the Whitehaven Sauvignon Blanc, which yes. by the way, die for if if anyone watching this manages to get this far through the podcast and haven't tasted it you've got to it's just to die for it's one of the the great Marlboros, of course i've actually had it as well jared i think i had it actually back um first actually when i was um at the festival with you with peter sidwell yeah. oz clark and i think we were, we were i was doing some filming with you and we actually had it there as a little yeah. taste but since then i've had it a few times and it is really good so i would also um second your recommendation to to enjoy that yeah, you've, um, got, you've got your own festival anecdote as well. I have, I have, I have. Yes, yeah, of course, of course. Um, so then just quickly just going on to um, outside of kind of core work then, is there any kind of um, ways that you like to relax and unwind? I mean, is that is that usually with a bottle of wine in hand or, or aside from, from work, what do you sort of get up to there? I suppose children, of course, and grandchildren yeah, is quite yeah, a key yeah. role. To be honest, when our own kids were growing up, uh, Diane took career breaks and, um, you know, she carried the brunt of parenting, which I've always been grateful for. But I was having to work every overtime shift and day off we could, you know. So I've, I've, I've often looked back like a few people on those years and wished I'd had more time. Uh, but I'm now able to do that with the grandkids. And, and that's just wonderful. It's priceless. Um, but my my way of relaxing is actually writing and um a few years ago, I was lucky enough to, um, to to be given a column in the in the Scottish Herald, which is uh, one of Scotland's nationals, uh, and I've been writing that for about five years now. And um, I occasionally guest column in a number of uh, regional newspapers. There's seven in London, a couple in Oxford. Um, but when the guest column goes out, I, I have a, a weekly readership of over a million people. Would you believe it's it's quite wow, fun. wow. Uh, but that's that's my my relaxation and uh, and and of course local history, and uh, when uh, when the Queen visited um, in 2008, I came up with this idea of um, putting a book together to look at how Whitehaven has changed during the period of the Queen's reign, and um, and and it was phenomenally popular. You know, we 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 sold about 6,000 copies, and um, and of course that just prompted me to uh, to write more and so I teamed up with Ivor Nicholas who was um, he was an independent photographer but a lot of his work was done with Cumberland News which mm. then became NewsQuest and uh, and Ivor's archive of negatives is just to die for he's got thousands and thousands of um, of negatives ranging from the, the the strip ones which are the ones that most of us remember right the way down to glass plate negatives and um, and there were just so many about Whitehaven and Cleetamoor and Egremont. I mean, they're all around the county, but obviously my focus was the West. And so Ivor and I put out a book, uh, which we called A Moment in Time. And uh, we thought that would be a one-off. Um, but we're now up to five books. Um, and uh, and I'm also 
you were saying about I should write a book. I'd, I'd, I'd started writing one years ago after I'd done some talks for pensioners groups about the anecdotes about the festival. Um, I shelved that a few years ago because there were just that many other things on. And I, I did also think it was a bit of a vanity exercise. But um, a, a friend, uh, John Granger um, from, from Beck, he he recently visited and um, and and he said, look, you you know, without being blunt, you've got some incredible stories. Put them down. It's um, it, it may or may not be of interest. So the the plan is to um, to try to do it, see if we can get it um, get it released, and and if we can um, sell it for uh, cancer charities. So that's that's my current um, project. In addition to the um, the, 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 the volunteer work I've started doing with the town council, you know, we instigated some some new markets, which we called Cumbrian Traders Markets. Um, and we started bringing continental markets back as well. So and, and, and this year with the the Platinum Jubilee and the usual string of markets and events that we have through the summer, we've, we've actually got a, a, a jam packed year. Um, and, and two years ago, I started a, a science show for uh, local children. We, we hold it in, in Marquee in St. Nicholas's Gardens with um, a CBB star, um, Steve Mould. And, and they've been just unbelievably popular. But next year, we plan to expand on that uh, with the town council and Sellafield, where we're looking to create that rather than just have the marquee for the, the, the pupils to come down and visit. We're looking at having that, but having another marquee and perhaps some other space as well and creating our, our own science fair. So the public can come and see something as well, um, and we're, we're you know we couldn't have been talking to the waste repository people, the NDA, uh, Sellafield, and 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 this this is my chance to reach out to Beck BC members, you know look if you're if you're involved in tech, um, it, it it doesn't have to be Sellafield, but if you're involved in tech or science, robotics, anything at all, and either through yourselves or through um, a, a partner company. You can get us a working model of something or you can get us some really fantastic graphics or um, virtual reality sets, anything at all that you think um, everyone from children to adults would be interested in seeing. Then next year we, we, we have the perfect venue for you, St. Nicholas's Gardens, and it's going to be our, our first full on science fair. Excellent. I mean, there's, there's so many things that you're still doing, Jared. I mean, you just mentioned so many there, but your time is so well used and all of, all of which for such good purposes as well. So that's really, really amazing to hear, actually. You, you mentioned Beck BC a few times there and you mentioned Dan's name, but I think it's important just to sort of bring this back as we, as we sort of conclude to where to where this all started, really. And this is a Beck BC podcast. And yeah. and I think it's good just to sort of talk about, um, um, yes, your relationship with Beck BC. And obviously Dan's come in as the new chief exec. Uh, and I think everyone would agree she's made a huge impact already. But I, I suppose you're supporting that in, from the sidelines. Um, but also you're also members, aren't you, of the, of the cluster yeah. itself? So just sort of briefly, I sort of ha what's your relationship with Beck BC been like over the years? And sort of what what's the importance that you see the work that they do? You're not after any pillow talk, are you, Adam? That, that'll be... <laughs> not pillow talk. <laughs> Keep it street, yeah, strictly business related. <laughs> but you're, yeah, you're. What is the importance? The importance of Beck BC, the work that we do, and really that now Dan is leading. Right. Well, I'll tell you how important it's been. I, I've been an on-off member. Um, the off times only being when the business has struggled, and we, you know we just haven't afforded the membership. 
Um, but I've always been engaged with Beck BC even during those periods. But I, I joined in the very first year. Um, we, we, we've kind of been lifelong members. Um, we've always been uh, participating in, in Beck BC. I think the whole idea of a, a group of companies where they, they can consider themselves friends and in friendly company, they can help share ideas, they can help share contracts, uh, they can help share prosperity, they can work together in the, and, and the community aspect is, is huge. Not every company um, can afford to be as daft as our little shop has been. Um, I mean, we've took uh, you know, community work and socioeconomics to an eccentric level. But the, the ability for businesses of my size and only slightly bigger to team up with others to then do some so proper socioeconomics for the community, that, you know, that's only really possible through an organization like Beck. But the, the real plus side is the, the business to business links. I know you've experienced them yourself. We've mm -hmm. certainly done well over the years, you know, um, and whenever, whenever you've needed a lift and you've needed a real push and you do a promotion through Beck BC on the, on the LinkedIn, you get someone responding, you know, and, and, and that, that kind of extra cushion, that extra support is, I think it's vital in business. We're all, we're all independent. We're all bolshy in our own way. We're all um, very protective of our own business identities. But at the end of the day, everyone likes to have a friend and that's what Beck BC is. It's a friendly club. It is. I've, I've found the same. It's a family of like-minded people who are there to sort of support each other in their ambitions, really. Just just one quick last one, Jared, actually. We ask everyone the same question at the end of these podcasts, and it's and it's what's the one piece of advice that you'd wish to pass to your younger self? If you could be 18 again, what's that one piece of advice you'd like to um, instill to your younger self? And I'm, I'm, aware, I'm aware I'm putting you on the spot here, so no, I, haven't, I haven't primed you in advance for this. It's fine. Uh, to be honest, I've, I've, I've actually thought about this a few times. Believe it or not, despite the, the, the things that we've managed to do uh, as, as a family and as a business, my biggest challenge has always been my own personal self-doubt. And um, I, I would love as a, to, to be able to go back and, and say, look, you know, harness that, but channel it in a certain way. Sometimes I ducked out of opportunities. Uh, believe it or not, because I just I didn't have the personal confidence. And um, from the very first minute, almost we've, we, we, you know, myself and then myself and Diane, we've we've done it alone. Um, I, I wish I could have had that um, that that kind of um, just ability to channel your own your own beliefs a bit more. I watched Diane, you know, in the last few years. I mean, obviously. You know, we've we've been together now thirty odd years, and um, you know, Diane in, in our early years of our marriage, she she did career breaks and various things, and her her career as a result only really started taking off in the last few years. But but by God, it skyrocketed, you know. And and I, and I watched this wonderful woman, um, the way she she puts her own confidence out, the way she involves other people in in every activity. It, it's it's phenomenal, you know, and and I, I think if I could do anything, I'd take uh, a little bit of this recent experience, this last few years watching Diane, and I'd take it back 30 years, play it back to myself, and I'd I think I'd start afresh. Well, that's great to hear, Jared. Thank you for sharing that quite personal um, um, sort of uh, comment and view of that. That's really really nice to hear. Um, so yeah, so that's really like sort of the end of our podcast. Really, you shared some amazing things there. I think it's uh, everyone would agree that the the impact you've had on the area 
um, has been huge. And the recognition that you've got from that, both in terms of the MBE and the various awards, the deputy lieutenancy um, is, you know, richly deserved. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing our st uh, your story today. And obviously, best of luck with the ongoing treatment. Yeah, and, um, yeah. you know, people are all around you to support you in that. So I think you're well placed to, to, to uh, tackle that going forward. But thanks for sharing your story today. Thank you, Adam. I just I just hope time's on my side to uh, to do a few more things. That's all I can hope for now. Thanks, Jared. Thank you. Thank you.